When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. The Telegraph, the Telegraph. podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club, Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today on the AFC Telegraph, differing approaches from the teams at the top and the teams playing them, but which one is best? There's only one way to find out. That's right, civilised discussion. We'll ask our Chelsea expert about their start to the season under Maurizio. Is it too late now to say Sarri, as he's known to no one? Plus, whether Roman Abramovich is about to board the oligarch merry-go-round. Watford, Arsenal, Cardiff, disciplinary measures and savoury snacks are also all on the audio agenda. First up, it's time for Mystery Player, as I'm sure you're now all aware. Each week, our podcast will begin with a footballer giving some mysterious clues about their identity, and it will be revealed at the end of the episode. No monetary prizes involved, but something bigger, the prize of happiness. Here is our Mystery Player. Hello. As a player, I've played for QPR, Crystal Palace and Leeds United. The highlight of my career is managing my hometown club. One to dwell on. Stick around until the end of the programme to hear who it is. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Mina Rizuki, who spent another weekend on the trail of Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Mina, two games, no goals for Ronaldo. Are Juve looking for the receipt already, do you think? I think so. We've already tried to look for a refund now. Um, no, but listen, it takes time. Italian leagues, like we always try to explain to you, are really, really high level of football. No, Does he still look happy? <laughs> he didn't look very happy when he missed an open goal and Manzukic like, jumped on it and scored that goal, the second. It looked like he was really happy for the team, if that makes sense. But you know what it is? I think he loves being where he is because he knows he's idolised. In the moment he touches the ball, the crowd goes crazy. And I think the crowd went especially crazy in the first half when he actually tracked back into a bit of defensive work. And for me, that was... I mean, that's all I look for in my front players. So when I saw that happen, I, I, wanted, I just got out of my seat. I was like, yes, you know, that was twice that he came back and did something really good on a defensive level. But you can see he's slowly starting to gel, but they've changed the tactics. They're changing the formation. It was 4-2-3-1 last week, 4-3-3 this time. It's going to take a while for him to find his rhythm. And I don't know how, how often everyone's going to send out their TV stations trying to watch Ronaldo's first ever goal and said, yeah. But it might take a while. Let's let's hope you keep going to go to Italy every weekend. What a treat for you. We've also got our residence 
tactics guru and all-round nice guy, JJ Ball. JJ, how, how are you grimacing a little bit as I describe you as a tactics guru? Am I, am I setting you up for a fall? It just makes me feel weird. Yeah. But I'll embrace it. Good. Because that is my role and I'll perform that role for you, Tom. <laughs> Do your funny little tactical dance. Completing the lineup is the hardest working man in football journalism, Matt Law. Matt, how are you? Are you appropriately caffeinated at this point? I am. I've, I've found out for the first time five years working here you can get free coffee. Yeah, it's, it's so a remarkable it's a big place. day. Big yeah. day. Oh, where do I go? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it afterwards. Uh, it's not, not good football podcast content. Let's start at the top of the nascent Premier League table. Liverpool, Chelsea and Watford on maximum points so far. Liverpool lead the way on goal difference. They've won a couple of tight games since the last time we podcasted, Matt. I imagine Jurgen Klopp was quite happy to see them do it in this way against Palace and Brighton. A little bit different to last year where they were blowing teams away. Yeah, he made that point after the Brighton win, didn't he, about uh, keeping the clean sheet and, and how maybe last season that's a game they would have, would have drawn. It's nice to see. I know the goalkeeper's obviously getting a lot of attention because of the amount of money they spent on him. But I, I quite like the fact that they're doing this at the moment with an English right-back, Alexander-Arnold, Gomez, who's been moved into the centre of defence, looking really, really good next to Van Dijk. It's not a different Liverpool, but it's, it looks like a more mature, less naive Liverpool who are maybe ready to get through the season a little bit more. I think he'll be actually, he'll probably be more pleased with having the two clean sheets, winning the way they have the last two games and maybe kind of winning sort of 4-3 or 5-2 or something, which would look very entertaining, but Exposed same old problems. Talking about the goalkeeper Mina Allison, he had a, a, a very frightening moment uh, on Saturday where he tried to sort of play like a winger, and he almost got himself into enormous trouble. How long is it going to be before he gets caught out doing that? Did, did he have any shockers in his time in Italy to, trying to play it out a little bit too casually? No, he really does hug the line between madness and brilliance. Uh, he's just that guy that you know he puts you in these situations where if you're a fan, you, you know you're holding on to the edge of your seat because you're really scared he's going to embarrass you in the way that sometimes I think Manuel Neuer does. But strangely enough, he didn't actually have any huge shocking moments at Roma and he always came out and he has this confidence in himself. So he's happy to do all of these strange things and, and back heel assists and back heel passes. Like, he's crazy. He really does think he's an actual football player rather than a goalkeeper. But you know what? I mean, I just, his performances, there's one that comes to my mind, which is one against Inter. And he completely stopped Maori Kadi trying to get the ball and he was intercepting and blocking and, and doing everything that you should if you're a defender but not a goalkeeper. And sometimes that worries you, but you know what, until he makes a mistake, and I'll tell you what, I think it'll be a long time before he does. He is really something exceptional. It does look extremely solid so far, despite the frippery of uh, trying to beat his uh, closing down man. Uh, Manchester City, meanwhile, could only get a draw at Wolves. Do we think Wolves exposed any new weaknesses in Manchester City? They do look vulnerable to handball goals. First time delivered in! Oh, yes! It's Kai Hearn! It's Willy Bolly! You beauty! Wolves have the lead! The champions of the Football League lead the champions of the Premier League! That audio coming from Wolves TV. How did Wolves' approach differ to what we normally see from uh, the smaller sides taking on big favourites, JJ, on Saturday? Well, they didn't do anything particularly new, but they attacked as well as defended. They didn't go all out defence. They didn't try and just block the entire time. What Wolves have is a lot of pace on the counter. And so when at any given time, they always had two up, which quickly became three, which quickly became four. 
they had a bit of a mid a mid press for most of it. They went back and what sat. What's a mid press? Describe a mid so press. So they, they want to win like the ball me. at halfway line. Right. So rather than at times you can push forward and try and win it high up the pitch, that leaves you exposed to you know a, a team like Man City or Liverpool can play through you. Uh, Wolves were trying to win the ball at halfway so they could then break, and because they had those guys that were higher up the pitch, they were able to do that. They did it so much that they moved Kyle Walker from his right back position. He's going up to the right wing quite a lot. Pep moved him to be a right centre back in certain phases, so he was in a, the back three, which is something that Man City do a lot now. That's because they were so worried about what was happening to them. I was really, really impressed with Wolves. I thought they were excellent. Very different approach to what Brighton tried to do at Liverpool. Where where would you pitch it if you were a manager? Would you try and go for that kind of men behind the ball, ultra organised thing, or or try and break a little bit more? I guess I guess it depends on the players. Yeah, it depends on the players, depends on the opponent. I'm sure we'll come into Newcastle later as well. But I was really impressed with Brighton against Liverpool as well. When it was if it wasn't for that mistake, Basuma, who I thought was actually one of their best players on the day, he just gave the ball away. He should have maybe made an early pass. He's only 21. He'll he'll make these mistakes. Just giving that mistake away to get Salah in. Salah's finishes was amazing. Brighton also did the the clever thing of defending deep when they needed to and breaking forward and you know, the possession shouldn't really matter. You know, as Benitez said in the Newcastle Chelsea game, you have the tools that you have and you have to use them accordingly. They were kind of similar with having around about thirty percent possession in these two teams. But they made things difficult for Liverpool, Brighton did. Got their chances, they played from the back, they kept the ball and they slowed it down and I really thought Hewton played that very well. Let's move slightly further north and talk about that Chelsea-Newcastle game. Uh, Chelsea now second in the uh, extremely irrelevant table at this point. Uh, more promising signs from Sarri, Matt and Chelsea. But the focus slightly off the pitch on after the reports on Sunday morning that Roman Abramovich may be looking to sell the club. What, what can you tell us about that, Matt? I don't think it's for sale in terms of there's a for sale sign outside Stamford Bridge and it's been put on right move and all that business. That, but, that is very unusual in <laughs> I mean, what is and what isn't for sale? I've had this with Tottenham for many years, whereby you hear a lot about the fact they're for sale, and they will, yet they will always deny they're for sale. But of course, there is a magic figure that would buy Tottenham. I mean, I'm told that it's kind of two billion now that it's gone up to. And I think Chelsea are in a similar position, whereby I think probably more like three billion, you would certainly get Roman sitting down on his yacht having a conversation with you. I suspect that more likely is that. Chelsea and Abramovich are looking for a little bit of outside investment because I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to give up control. But a bit of outside investment might bring the new stadium back onto the table. So there's, there's certainly stuff going on with the ownership and investment. And, and clearly he's got his visa problems and it prevents him from working in this country, which is a real grey area at the moment. Because if he comes over here, sits in his director's box, has a meeting afterwards, is that working? Isn't it working? You smile, but it's true. They're, they're not quite sure at the moment, what would be constituted as coming over to work. So he's in a tricky position. So there's an opportunity there, I think, for someone, if they if they have a kind of 500 million, a billion hanging around, to, to actually invest in Chelsea. I think it would take a monumental, like I say, 3 billion off or something like that to get them talking about selling it. But I don't think it is actually for sale. Would this have been happening, even at this sort of not entirely for sale level, if it wasn't for these visa issues? I started to hear, when they made the announcements on the new stadium a couple of years ago now, I started to hear then that they would look at the possibility of bringing in some outside investment because Abramovich actually always made it clear that he didn't actually want to fund the whole new stadium, even before there were any problems with visas or suggestions that he might want to sell or whatever. They just wanted to do it that way, to bring in some investment to to help with the stadium and, and make it a more 
club-owned stadium rather than just him. I don't quite know whether that makes sense. So I don't think it's new-new in terms of looking for investment, but I think obviously the visa issues have probably put it up the agenda a bit. What about Sarri and the team on the pitch, Mina? Are we seeing title challenges, do you think, from Chelsea? I don't think so. Not yet, anyway. I mean, obviously they are doing very well, but thank God for Hazard because, you know, they really do need a player who understands how to work in tight spaces and work in congested areas. I think this team needs to be taught a lot. For one thing, it's how to stretch a defence because the everyone's come out. I thought it was quite harsh on Alvaro Morata, like saying, you know, he needs to do more and he needs to figure it out. But the way that they were playing was so congested. They were just going through congested areas. They had no idea how to stretch play and find gaps. And that doesn't serve a player like Morata, who does need a little bit of space at least. I do think that he's not really being dealt the hand that he wants. I think it's going to take time for Sadia to achieve a little bit more balance. That defense still worries me, the way that they get back in line and get their organization. It's not great, but you know what? If they're still beating teams and they're still finding ways, then we can't complain too much. But they don't yet look to me to be a side that really scares me. I thought Chelsea were good. I thought they worked Newcastle quite well. I just thought they were so well... There was about five yards between the lines of defence and midfield for Newcastle. And I imagine they did practice these things in training an awful lot. Sort of parking two buses, wasn't it, really? It was like a row of tanks. You know, like if you play Risk and you put loads of your, your armies around the edge of the border, like between Australia or whatever, and you Refer- can't get in. Reference for the kids there. Is yeah. it really cliche that I sort of loved what Newcastle did? <laughs> <laughs> you can kind of agree with Benitez's approach, right? Because I agree with Graham Soonis, what he said, is that I'd rather maybe lose 3-0 and have a, a wee bit of a go... If they had a go and pushed, they would have lost 3-0. Their players are nowhere near as good. There's a huge disparity between players and finances in the Premier League and no clearer in evidence than in the Newcastle versus Chelsea. I don't know what Newcastle could have got. It would, I'll refer to my old friend XG. It should have been a Chelsea win, about 0.2, 0.8. Because Chelsea were just... They just had all the balls. 18% possession to Newcastle. They didn't have the ball. They had no way of getting out whatsoever. They still created chances. They still scored. And they almost got the result they needed. And I thought Chelsea... But you still love Chelsea and thought they were great. Yeah, I thought Chelsea <laughs> I thought Chelsea did well because it's... How do you break that down? Man City struggled last year against heaps of teams that do it. Like, how do you get around it? You can't commit too much because you leave them open to the counter-attack. Then you get slagged off for making a mistake. But to create the chances, you have to make... Stretch play. Yeah, you have to make mistake-prone passes. You have to try things to make it happen. Hazard was awesome. Just a free roll running about everywhere. They tried to kick him off the pitch. Yeah, they really did. <laughs> must He's be really annoying for him. Though. He's so fantastic to yeah. watch. Newcastle were playing percentages. They'd lost the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's your definitive verdict on a Premier League weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to Arsenal. A first win for Unai Emery. 3-1 over West Ham on Saturday. Not entirely convincing, Matt. You were there. Uh, Mesa Ozil in the headlines before that. Uh, seemingly... He's been some sort of very naughty boy. How do we think Emery's going to deal with this? And what sort of a message will it send out to his squad, how he does choose to deal with Ozil? He's already shown it because, I mean, taken away this weekend, he he subbed him off against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, which Wenger didn't do very often, even when Ozil was having nightmare games. So I think he's put a marker down pretty early on that. If you're not doing what I want you to do, you're just not going to be on the pitch. There's clearly been, I don't think anyone's particularly asked him to debate this, a conversation in the week in training between Ozil and Emery about Ozil's work rate and what he's giving to the team and obviously the fact Emery wants more. I suspect that whether he was ill or not ill or saying he was ill or not, that he was going to be dropped for Saturday. So I think the message is already out there that Emery's just not having it. And 
The, the thing Emery's got on his side is that he wasn't at the club when they handed him this ridiculous contract back in January, which puts the club in a very difficult position. But Emery's not actually in a difficult position with it because he wasn't party to that. So he, he's not, you know, he's not promised Ozil anything. I think he's got a struggle on his hands to get back in that team for a little while now. What makes the contract ridiculous? Well, just the fact that 350 grand a week to a player who wasn't really doing it has caused lots of other problems within the squad. Aaron Ramsey now wants a lot more. He's just not worth that amount of money. He's, he doesn't do it consistently enough to, to warrant that amount of money. And now they've hamstrung themselves against that in that Emery can do what he likes with him. He'll drop him. But then the club have got you know this asset who who's taking so much money out of the club. It, it puts him in a tricky position. His value drops as that happens as well. So the, yeah, the resale massively. value goes down. I wonder whether Emery's doing it having had to put up with a lot of... Um, I don't want to slag us all off, but like ego in the PSG dressing room. <laughs> yeah, so now he's just putting it down. Like, I'm not having this again because it kind of ruined my time there. Did he have that sort of reputation at Real, Mina? Was, was he a problematic person in that dressing room? He wasn't problematic and the players were very sad to see to see him go. He His father didn't have a great relationship with Florentino Perez. It was all over the news at the time. What I thought was interesting is when Carlo Ancelotti came in. We know that... Um, Carlo Ancelotti's a nice guy. He wants you to be happy as players and he loves professional guys who have the intellect to just make it work. And Ozil is an intelligent player and he knows what he's supposed to do, but he didn't find him having the right attitude or having the ability to provide everything for the team rather than just a visionary pass. So when it was put to him that they needed to sell one, whether it was going to be Angel Di Maria or Mesut Ozil, he said, I want Mesut Ozil to go because he doesn't provide the team with the balance that I require in order to get the best out of them. So for the whole team, I need, I really needed Di Maria, so I had to let Ozil go. And they managed to get the likes of Isco to do all the dirty work or whatever it is. And it just seemed that Ozil didn't... He wants to be in that position where he's the number 10, he's the guy who's dictating everything and allowed the freedom to do so. But he has to understand that nowadays, perhaps you don't really get that luxury unless you are an exceptional player. I mean, if Ronaldo is tracking back, then, you know, you have to too. And that's the kind of thing that I'm, I'm assuming that Emery is not happy with. What I think is interesting about all of this as well is that he worked very well under Jose Mourinho and he really likes a disciplinarian. So perhaps Emery's approach and if, he, you know, the, the harder that it gets and, and the more that he puts pressure on him, perhaps that will change Ozil. And he really likes to sometimes be told off. So let's see what happens. As long as he feels the faith of Emery, but it's just, you know, it's a bit of a carrot and stick sort of approach then maybe he'll provide something. It's an interesting point, the PSG, though, because he did seem to get undermined at, at PSG, particularly with the whole Neymar yeah. situation. And it felt at PSG like he didn't have the power to actually do what he wanted to do, whereas obviously Arsenal he has. So it does feel like an early early marker of his management. This is also something that the whole management of Arsenal need to know who they're backing, and you always back the coach rather than any of the players. So I think where PSG's errors are and why I don't see them ever winning the Champions League if this continues is that you need to always be on the side of the coach, whatever his decisions are, whether it means you know making Ozil sit on the bench and the asset just depreciates, then it has to go that way. But I don't think they sh- they can afford to do what PSG did with you know Neymar and all that business when Emery was there. The problem with Ozil and Arsenal just now is that Ozil, clearly a very good player who's great with in the final third, can make a great team that like nth percentage better. It's like putting you know very expensive. I would say a bit expensive petrol or oil. I'm not a, not, I'm not a car man into a car, right? Ursul <laughs> GTX. Yeah, so I guess... You Other know, invented oil brands are You've available. got a great team and he makes them just play that a little bit better. You can find these passes that no one else can, can get. Arsenal's not a great team just now. And so if he doesn't also put in the shift you need and isn't then being able to provide 
these kind of chances to those players who you know are stellar players it's kind of a waste of a player that's harsh but yeah but that's what it is I think it's a different culture type of thing because yeah. in, in Spain if you do deliver a beautiful pass and you don't do the rest of the work it's fine it's a technical league that appreciates you know those types of creative players but in this league in which you do want a guy to look like he's you know sweating for your team that he's working hard just on a PR level just his image level it just looks like he doesn't care and he's not being forgiven by the media in the way that he was when he was at Real Madrid or mm. just by the Spanish media who really appreciate that kind of player. And it doesn't matter if he doesn't go back and do the necessary things or sacrifices for the team because you know what? He's so beautiful when he plays. But here in this league and if you're in the Bundesliga or Serie A, then it's not going to be accepted. You need to put in a shift anyway. He's so divisive. I was speaking to Sam Dean, our other Telegraph writer, the other day about this, about how on one side you've got the, we'll, we'll call them the football hipsters who love all the, the final passes and the pass accuracy and things in the final third and will always defend them, of which I'm probably one of. And then, <laughs> and then you also have like the your dad style football things. He doesn't tackle. He doesn't run enough. He doesn't do the hard work. He doesn't look hard enough. He's somewhere in the middle. You want to stand up for him when he's doing it, but if he, doesn't, if he keeps not actually doing anything of any use, he's going to run out of his... Uh, little fan club but what about what's happening to him off the pitch do you think that's having an impact what is happening off the pitch what can we like say legally that happened with uh, germany of as course in maybe he's just feeling on that occasion that you know the kind of the world's turning against him in the same way he started in the beginning of his arsenal career because of his fallout with his father as well quite nasty off the pitch as well that stuff yeah, yeah. i mean that's going to have an impact on you right that can't not upset players all that stuff happening off the pitch i i, I, I kind of think we we tend to we don't want to psychoanalyse players particularly, but it's it's hard to imagine that that doesn't have an impact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Not much sympathy from that law. Legally, I should probably just say yeah. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Let's talk about rules now in the Premier League. We had Richarlison sent off at Bournemouth uh, for the shortest range headbutt of all time, while uh, Etienne Capoue blatantly raking his studs down, poor Wilfred Zaha's Achilles and only getting a yellow card. Does this seem correct to the AFC Telegraph panel? Can we bring Adam Smith's red card into this Absolutely. as well? Because Theo Walcott even said afterwards that he was surprised. He yeah. thought that was a yellow. That, that seemed bizarre. I think it's karma. Karma? Mm. I think that he totally overreacted to them. Oh, I see. Yeah, Ah. possibly. I mean, he just really recoiled in a way that made you think that, you know. The worst part is he sort of told on him. He's like, did you see he put his head in my face? (laughs) All right. Oh, did he? I'm sorry, Adam. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) That is the discourse on a Premier League football pitch. I think it's happening in that tone. You've got to to raise awareness of these things because, you know, if you wind up with Charleston and he puts his head in your face, then sure enough, it's a red card because it's... Is it violent conduct accounts? Yeah. So that's the piece. It seems like with Richarlison's, it's the, it's the sort of point of it rather than the action itself that he's got mm. sent off for, isn't it? It's almost the point being you're not allowed to put your head there rather than yeah, what he's actually done because he, he barely made any contact if any, did he? The law is an ass here, though, isn't it? We, we had that rule change, uh, I think it was last season, where that triple jeopardy rule went where that you no longer have a red card, a suspension and a penalty if a keeper... Makes a foul in the box. If you could make one rule change to football, what would it be? Wowzers. Um, mine isn't really a sort of discipline rule change. I would take out all the seedings of the Champions League. No one's seeded. Yes, I would love that. So would I. Straight knockout. Just make it so much more entertaining. It doesn't have to be knockout. Games. You can still go into the groups, but nobody's seeded for the groups. So 
it's just open. What about a rule change oh, on the so pitch? So you don't mind if, if it's like, I don't know, Bayern, United, Real Madrid and Barcelona all in one? Perfect. No, I would be amazing, yeah. And then you have like, I don't know, Monaco in the semi-final. Actually, Monaco's quite good. I don't know. Um, <laughs> just four terrible teams because because of the luck of the draw. I mean, I'm not comparing the Champions League to the FA Cup, but the FA Cup isn't seeded and you still generally find most of the best teams because it's quite unusual that they're all going to get just drawn together. I just think it'd be far more interesting and far fairer. The only benefit is to get the rich teams more money because they have seeded so they come up. In terms of rules I'd change... I really hate when players just speed into other ones from behind. You know, they're just trying to shut them down as quickly as they can at halfway line, and it makes the game so boring to watch. And it's never a foul unless they go down. There's so many times that at Watford against... Um, oh, God, I was watching Palace. it. Palace, sorry, yeah, I was doing the live blog for it. Um, but yesterday, just so many just players, like someone receives the ball with their back to, to go, slams someone behind them, they have to release it straight away, and then it just becomes a total rammy in Isn't the middle of the pitch. just marking? <laughs> no, it's not, because you just like it's just little digs here and there. Like Hazard's getting kicked off the pitch and the referees need to watch that because they're not protecting players like him. You can't just Oh my god. No, this is football. It's a contact sport. Like, do you remember what used to happen to Maradona? This yeah. guy was kicked all over the pitch and he still made it work. We are so protecting players now. No, with this I don't little have... like foam wrapped around them and oh gosh, you know, they can't fall over because then they can't strike the ball and score forty five goals in a game. I don't think this that's the football. same thing. I think if you're playing like if whenever I've like played like Sunday League at a really low level and someone comes absolutely screaming into me, you know, it's gonna be it's just play on, they just don't go on. But when you're protecting these guys and they're running it, like they're not running as fast as I am running. Like they're going a, a million times faster and it's all so quick. And the smallest bit could really hurt them. You've got the guys, Capu's like, dragging his studs down the back of uh, Zaha's leg yesterday. Now Zaha is also getting kicked off the pitch yesterday. It's like the referees are just sort of letting it go until something bad happens to him. And then they're going, well, that was too far. Like it's, You can't just let it go until someone actually gets injured doing it. And I, don't, I know it's a, a man's game, a contact game. Sorry, not a man's game. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That old cliche without yeah. trying to drop into that. You should be able to have a physical battle without people getting dug into you. And I don't like it's nice seeing, a, it's funny seeing a good slide tackle wipe someone out, but only if it's not malicious and nasty. And I think that the thing on Zaha yesterday was a bit like kind of malicious and a bit. That was dirty. a bit malicious yeah, that's because. And that's the stuff yeah, I don't that's like. different. Yeah. But I don't agree with, you know, when it's the games are so stop start because, you know, nowadays you can't properly give a tackle or it seems like it's a foul and everyone is, you know, clamouring for a mm. yellow card. I do miss the days when you just had to, you know, suffer through it. And that was the way it was. And coming back to PSG, <laughs> Neymar didn't like playing those matches, you know, because he didn't want to get hit at. And that's not, I, I just don't see that as football. It just discourages a little bit of the, um, this sounds really like pretentious, but the, kind of the, the art of the game. So you, you lose, it becomes more of a battle. And a battle is good now and again, but I just like seeing players be able to play. And when they're constantly just getting smashed and it's... I don't mean like wiped out. I mean just someone's on to them the, going... Do you like the Pep Guardiola? The, exactly, you know, I was going to say, the, yeah. Do you like the Atletico Madrid? I, I love watching Atletico Madrid. I love that they're, they're physical and, and they almost dirty we and they stop play a game me. against each other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you try and wipe me out. And, <laughs> and you'll just play through me. So. And you'll just win the ball off me as a give it away anyway, yeah. It's okay. like KSI and Logan Paul, but we'll, we'll stick to FIFA and we can just tweak our <laughs> tactics appropriately. Well, what about Watford? Three wins already for them. What's behind their brilliant start, do we think? They just look really well organised. I don't think there's anything particularly amazing about them. Will Hughes has been good. Uh, Abdoulaye Dukouri, he'd be a good player. I don't want to just link them with the big teams, but if Man United had signed him, he's a great midfielder. 
Just keeps everything organised, really good going forward. He was weird there last season. He started the season really well last season. And then around sort of November, December, he started getting linked with a January move to a big club. Mm. And he went right off the boil. But, I mean, it was his first season, so he could have, you know, just been tired or whatever or getting used to the league. But it seemed that the talk of the big move with him got right in his head. But you're right, he's come back now this season really, really good. Pereira as well has been amazing. Pereira's been awesome. Yeah. I sort of forgot they had. Great celebration, Pereira as well, the big crocodile, uh, <laughs> the crocodile yeah. arms. I was really upset when he left Juventus, to be honest. I, I, I always thought that he was smart. He's really? really, he has vision on the ball. He, is, he does a lot of good things that I thought a lot of players didn't do at the time in that squad. You're a big signing for Watford and got him. That yeah, was it was a big mean. loss for us. Yeah, as he well. didn't really do it. I mean, the start of this season, I sort of had forgotten they, they really had him. Maybe Richarlison leaving them has actually freed him up a little bit more and given him a bit more responsibility. Actually, in that game, that, that game should have been a draw. Crystal Palace were really good. That could have gone anyway. You Lost could... it in the first half, didn't they? Yeah, they were just really solid. Roy Hodgson's really got them playing very well. Um, Zaha is sort of a nine, sort of a ten, floats around, goes wide and plays in different areas. Um, MacArthur was getting into attacking positions, missed a couple of one-on-ones. Townsend was very good, but again, he always cuts onto his left, so he's kind of predictable with that. But they just look solid, and I think they'll be they'll do quite well this season. But you could have told me any score for that game, and I would have believed it. If it was 4-0 to one, either team, and it would have said, oh, that sounds fine. 1-1, I believe it. <laughs> I mean, you watched the game, so uh, <laughs> when would I be telling you this now? Well, I don't, before it, after it, even How though, even though I watched it, Tom, right, and I know the score, right? I know what the score was. <laughs> but if you just told me now, well, that was a convincing 3 0 win for Crystal Palace, I'd be like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people tipped Watford to do badly this season. They might still do badly, but they're, they're, they're the ones who, they're not the Leicester, because I guarantee they're not going to win the league. But they're the ones who are going to upset a few predictions by the looks of things. You heard it here first, Watford not winning the league. Let's turn our attention to the bottom of the table now. It's Burnley, Huddersfield and West Ham in the bottom three as it stands. But I'm interested in Cardiff, who, despite not scoring any goals in three games, have two points and are up to 15th in the table. Mina, if you were a Cardiff fan, would you be upset that this is sort of sucking the fun out of promotion a little bit, not scoring any goals and playing quite uh, conservatively, shall we say? I covered Serie A all my life, so <laughs> for me, defence wins everything. I don't really care for goals. Um, oh, I get it now. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> now you get it, JJ. <laughs> but obviously, it's not very fun to watch, and I, and I don't think that Neil Warnock really under, really knows right now, he'll figure it out, but what is his his best lineup going forward and how he can get the best out of talents. They did create their chances. They're obviously not very good at uh, finishing them off. I mean, there there was a sitter there that, I mean, if you can't convert that, then what can I say for you? It's going to take time for, for them to gel, but I, I don't think it's too much to worry about. I know everyone's going crazy. It depends because they didn't really bring in the players that they wanted in going forward and they wanted to look at covering the gaps in midfield because that was the problem. And so it remains to be seen whether their summer transfer market dealings and where their priorities laid there is going to have an effect on them going forward. But if you convert your chances, it's just about that happening. And at least they had some. I think their fans would just be delighted at the moment, to be honest with you. When you say about sucking the life, I mean, they, it's, it's they the have momentum, no right. You go from being a team who's winning most of the time, and then you're up, and it's but they, it they didn't brutal and sad. If they you're didn't go up week. in that style, though. They, they didn't go up in the style of they, they went up winning teams, most of their games, but they were winning a lot of games by the odd goal. They were winning really scrappily. They're actually pretty dreadful to watch in the championship yeah. last season. Yeah. The fact he got them up was an, a miracle on the budget and the way they played. And he Neil Warnock just seems to have taken the approach this season so far. He's just going to smile and laugh his way through losing every single game or never scoring a goal or whatever because they're just there 
and he knows he's worked a bit of a miracle to get them there. And at the end of the season, like the weakest link, you just say bank and uh, go yeah, again in the championship, potentially. They're just satisfied with being in the Premier League. And they at don't. the moment, for sure. I can see both those teams going down, actually, Huddersfield and them as well. They're not an awful lot there between them. No, I mean, it's amazing Huddersfield stayed up without scoring many goals last season. They went up with, I think they went up with a negative goal difference the, the season before but Mina's dream a, a, <laughs> a bit of a style though Huddersfield when they came up as well and last season you could see what they're trying to do I was a little bit Klopp-esque to, yeah they to started so well that was the thing yeah, very, I, like, I had high hopes for them under, under Wagner I think a lot of people did and they looked entertaining for a start of last season sort of tailed off a lot towards mid to the end didn't they and they finished quite well to, to stay up yeah. but Cardiff have to just be happy to be there for now I mean it's unbelievable they're there they've got no budget to speak of they haven't really got the squad to sort of mould the squad into this team that are going to go out and play. So I think to start with, they will just be delighted to be there. Yeah. Are you happier with watching something like that as in, you know, they can't score the goals, but or are you okay with watching someone like Arsenal where their full-backs think they're forwards and they have no defence? It's not for me, though. I mean, it's for the Cardiff fans. That's as a question a fan, for a Cardiff you... fan, I think. If I was a Cardiff fan, I'd just be quite happy with Cardiff being there and drawing games nil-nil and whatever. Let's look ahead to the Monday night football excitement between Manchester United and Spurs. You, you feel Jose Mourinho need to win uh, and we've got notoriously mid-paced starters Spurs looking for three in a row for the first time in, in a long time. How big a deal is this game? Oh, it's huge. It's got to be huge. That's the spirit, Mina. Excitement. Yes. But what I don't understand is why everyone is so focused on Jose Mourinho being miserable. Isn't that just the status quo? We've, we know that. <laughs> That's what he wants you to focus on so you don't look at his team. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a must-win game, which is really quite surprising considering it's so early in the, in the season. And now everyone's talking about whether or not Manchester United should have gone for Pochettino rather than Mourinho when, when trying to find a new coach. But you know what makes it really hard is that Kane is now scoring in August. Um, he still doesn't have a centre-back partnership that he's happy with. It's either the youngsters or the injured ones. You know, who's he going to go for? He doesn't have balance. They're not coached. They're all miserable going in there. But there is something about this that sometimes when you underestimate an opponent so much is when they come back and bite you. So I really wouldn't be that surprised if United did something special. I I don't know. It's going to be really tight. I don't think it'll be a highly entertaining game tonight. I think it'll be... The last games they played, Mourinho switched his shape up a bit. So it was a 3-4-3 three, a three, three, or 3-5-2, something like that. They had two strikers to try and cater. Well, because Spurs, even though they play with just Kane, they really have two strikers because either Ali or Son when he was playing mm. uh, would come up the side and you need three centre-backs to look after that. He's not happy with just having two centre-backs just now that he can't really get. Eric Bailly looked like he was drunk last week playing. And so I don't know what they're going to have as a three, what they're going to have, how that's going to work. Whether they're going to attack down the wings, Spurs are so much better at doing it. Spurs can switch from a four to a three during the games to make it go the way they want to. Man United are at home, so you'd think they'll have the advantage and they can go on the attack. But you know they won't. He'll, Mourinho will set up to counter what they're doing. I can't see there being many goals. I'm always wrong with these. We also have an England squad coming this week. The first since the World Cup for the Nations League game against Spain, then a friendly against Switzerland in the forthcoming international break of thrillingness. Are we expecting any new names, Matt, in the England squad? I think so, because you've got an issue with a few players. Can't imagine Cahill will keep his place in the squad, having not appeared for Chelsea yet, even on the bench. You like Cahill, though, don't you? Well, I don't think Cahill should be in the England squad going forward, but I do think that Cahill is massively disrespected by a large part of Chelsea fans. Cahill's a legend. He's The stuff he's won with Chelsea is ridiculous for the amount of money they paid for him. But 
I don't want to go on a Gary Cahill rant particularly right now. We'll save that. Um, it's a special during the week. Yeah, let's do a Gary Cahill special one week. Um, Four so, parts. So there's a centre-back place in the squad, which I think will go to Joe Gomez, who's been doing really, really well for Liverpool. I think there'll be a space um, where Welbeck's place in the squad would have been. I'd be surprised if he's still in. That's an interesting one because I think a lot of people would have predicted that Sessegnon would have been a contender to, to come straight into that. But he... He got dropped, didn't he, at the weekend. It might be a bit early, so it might be a chance to get someone like Lana back in. So there are a few opportunities. Loftus-Cheek's an interesting one, whether he can keep his place, because I think Southgate would love to keep him part of the squad, but he's just not been playing. So there, there were some issues. What I find interesting going into this international squad announcement and break is usually this is the international break that everybody hates. Premier League gets going and it stops. and Everyone's like, oh, no, you know, it's like, international break, England, we don't want it, we just want to keep going with Premier League. I just want to see whether the World Cup and the feel-good factor around the England squad around that has changed any attitudes. I suspect maybe not. I think a lot of people still feel quite deflated about Premier League stopping. It's quite nice. It's, it's, it's slightly competitive now, the games. Mm. It's not just a friendly. Like I know it's it'll seem the, like... The Nations a, League thing. Nations League, yeah. I really like this idea, and I think you need people to buy into it and really try and actually win games properly don't treat them like a friendly Spain the fact we're playing Spain as well I think makes it more interesting because it's a big big game for them I can't see how they can possibly treat it as a friendly given what they've been through so I think it will be competitive and interesting how would you keep that feel good factor going Mina what did Italy do after they won the World Cup in 2006 whole country behind them not qualified. (laughs) (laughs) Scottish person over here (laughs) oh I'm sorry (laughs) How do you keep hold of the feel-good factor? It depends because it's a difference in culture. So in Italy, you always want to watch Italy play more than you. a lot of people for them will prefer that over everything else. Even even friendlies and qualifiers? We know that we're notoriously bad when it comes to, to friendlies. You know, it's all about the effort that you make. It's a little bit like pre-season friendlies or the ICC tournament. You love the ICC tournament. <laughs> I, I, do, I do. How many weeks can we keep mentioning the ICC tournament for? <laughs> Let's just try to see if we can do it till the end. Um, but, you know, we know that there's an, obviously a lack of effort, but it's just a chance to see the youngsters come out, to perhaps be given an opportunity and it's always, you know, let's work to try to win the next World Cup. I, I, look, it's always exciting for Italians and Germans, I think, to watch their team play. It's more exciting for teams like um, England because they have such a fantastic Premier League, which is so full of every, you know, exciting thing in the planet that they don't actually want to watch their national team play. This occasion, they did well, so let's see what happens. You're listening to The Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of The Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Back to the Premier League and let's have the cleverest moment of the weekend in association with JJ Ball. JJ, what have you got for us? A Fulham special. Oh, yes, please. Yes. Not that the big six, they can go away. This is the cleverest moment of the weekend. was um, Fulham's second goal, which is a set piece, a training ground set piece, everyone's favourite. And it comes from a corner. The corner is taken short to the edge of the box where Tom Kearney is and uh, you'd normally expect him to shoot but he doesn't. It's a cunning ruse and he crosses to the back post. Burnley's defenders, when they see the ball go out, they all rush out and Mitrovic very cleverly just just makes sure he's in line with the last man and uh, is onside and the ball goes perfectly to him at the back post and he heads in and that is that is the cleverest moment. Joe Hart sprawling uh, yeah. for that one. Did yeah. you think he could have done a bit better? 
I don't know, maybe he's at his near post, so you'd argue, but it's so close range and he gets enough power on it as well. I thought, like, Mitrovic, all through the game, his movement was very clever. He could His movement alone could have been cleverest moment um, or moments. And there's another one for later on, well, his, his uh, second goal was a header and again, he played the line very well, just giving himself a couple of yards ahead of me and Ward. Ward's a left back, but he was at centre back for this particular move. Uh, the ball comes in and uh, me looks over his shoulder, drops back, and then goes forward again to try and catch Mitrovic offside. Ward hasn't received the text message, and so keeps going with him, plays him on side, Mitrovic scores. And I seem to remember that a certain member of our panel thought Mitrovic would be useless this year. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we could maybe introduce a section of what have I got wrong this week. <laughs> yeah, me too, yeah. But if, he, uh, if I was going to nominate a poor signing, I would have said Mitrovic as well, to be, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, Alan Smith did. Alan Smith of Arsenal fame. I read a column by him and thought, yes, Alan. <laughs> and then he's now sitting with me on the look stupid step. But maybe it's he won't. Only one I was going to say he might not score yeah. again this season. So let's just keep our powder dry. I totally agree. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Finally, a word for Charlton Athletic, where a story emerged last week about a member of staff at the Valley who had to ask permission to eat a packet of crisps at their desk. There was then some creative protesting from the home fans who held up a goalless draw with Fleetwood by throwing packets of crisps on the pitch on Saturday. But returning to the original story about a snack-based disciplinary issue, when have you, AFC Telegraph teammates, been told off at a football match or by a football club employee? I Well, in my line of work, I get told off by football club employees quite a lot, particularly press officers. <laughs> I had a good one. This is going to ramble a little bit, but bear with me. I used to work at the Derby Evening Telegraph, and it was a Jim Smith season when they were going for Europe with about six games to go. And this was a big thing in Derby. They hadn't been in Europe for years. So we printed this big thing, going for Europe, blah, 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 massive map of Europe. This is where they could be going. Da, 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 da. Paper comes out. Within hours of the paper coming out, phone call, which I take. Guy rants down the phone. We printed the wrong map of Europe. It's an old map. It's got the old Yugoslavia on. It's a disgrace. <laughs> You're a disgrace. You've got to print a correction and apology. And I'm thinking... I, I helped cover Derby County at the time, and I'm thinking as I'm listening, I know this voice. I absolutely know this voice. It's got a bit of a kind of foreign tone to it. By the end of the phone, I'm like, is this Igor Stimak? <laughs> yes. And the phone went down, and Igor Stimak had rang up to complain about the fact that we'd printed the old Yugoslavia quite correctly, but he, um, he didn't... He didn't out himself until the end of the whole thing. Great that Igor's supporting local newspapers as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So good old Igor, beat that. The yeah. only bad thing I ever done once is when I was watching Juventus in, against Madrid in the Champions League in 2003. I was doing so from a Madrid bar. And then I was the only Juventus supporter. And obviously, I broke into, ex, you know, ecstasy, really, like, you know, like huge support, cheering loudly and then thought I was going to die. And that was about the only thing I've ever done badly. I used to work at Aberdeen in the football stadium. We used to sell pies. <laughs> wow. I really did this. Is that still on your CV? Uh, no, actually, and maybe this is why. <laughs> so uh, I, mean, I used to work there every week, and it was great fun. I used to go to Pataudry. We'd sell the pies and other delicious snacks, crisps even, crisps, yeah. relevant. And then uh, <laughs> people would come and buy the stuff, right? And then at about uh, just before three, five to three, ten to three, we were entitled to one bag of crisps and a soft drink. We would take as many and some pies and some things we'd hidden and we'd take him into the stand and we watched the entire first half. It was amazing. We did it every week for an entire season. And so at the end of the season, about two games towards the end, me and Wayne were sitting down watching a nil-nil, just like a cheeseburger on one hand, a pie on the other, a bovril on the floor. I literally got a pie in my mouth, I think. And I turned around and there's just the two managers standing with arms folded, just looking like, <laughs> all right, lads. So I didn't work there again after that. 
Yeah, I've had several, several Harry Redknapp bollockings. Mm. Several. Mm. Several. Mm. Did you call him a wheeler dealer? Uh, one might have been for calling him a wheeler dealer. Best thing about, <laughs> Easily done. Best thing about Harry Redknapp bollockings are he rings you up, shouts down the phone at you, and by the end of the phone gives you at least three stories. Oh, Wonderful. Really? Oh yeah. You Despite take that, the fact you? that he's just young. Oh, he's amazing. He'll 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 go mad at you, mad at you, mad at you, and then all of a sudden he's back to being a great guy. Everything's great. Chat, 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 and he's, he's suddenly giving you a load of stories. It's a ratio you'd accept. Yeah. Thank you all for joining me once again on uh, on the Audio Football Club. A good set of fixtures to look forward to next week. Uh, Willie will be back next Monday. Yes. Mina. Yeah, no more Italy. No, not no more Italy, thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo's going to score a hat-trick next weekend. And no more Arsenal for me. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Jeremy Wilson back. I don't know about Jeremy Wilson, but I'm not watching Arsenal, which I'm, I'm glad about. Can we discuss their defence, though, next week? Uh, Arsenal's defence. Because I just really, I just, I just can't take it. It's, it's the stuff of nightmares for Absolutely. Me. It's on the list. Tune in next week for a very long discussion about Arsenal's defence. That's all from this week's Telegraph Audio Football Club. Contact me on Twitter if you would like to before next week's episode. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Just search for Telegraph Audio Football Club. I am backing you to find it. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. It's the end of the programme and you deserve a reward. So let's reveal this week's mystery player. Yes, that's right. I'm Sean Derry, Oxford United first team coach, and you've been listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.